Well, if you've watched the news at all lately, I'm sure you've heard at least something about the Alex Murdaugh trial. Alex Murdaugh, a lawyer from South Carolina, was accused of murdering his 22-year-old son, Paul, and his wife. Uh, The trial drug on and drug on 28 days of testimony over 70 different witnesses brought up on that witness stand, and some thought that it was unclear uh, whether they would get a guilty verdict or not. Would they be able to say, would the jury be able to say, beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt that he committed this crime? Well, there was one piece of evidence that spoke uh, pretty loudly. Uh, They lived on a big ranch, had a big house and a lot of property, and they did hunting. And there were kennels there where they kept these hunting dogs. Uh, His son, Paul, and his wife, Maggie, were murdered, shot in the kennels. Uh, When he reported the crime, he told the police that he had not been to the kennels that day. But later, when they did some investigation and they got Paul, the murdered son's iPhone, they found recordings of him, Alec, the one who was charged with the murder, talking to the wife and son in the kennels. What was he going to say? Well, he said that he was taking so many prescription pills that he was paranoid of the police. So that forced him to lie about where he was. He wasn't really napping, but he was in the kennels that day. So the jury went out to deliberate just yesterday, and many were shocked when the jury came back after only 45 minutes of actual deliberation with a guilty verdict. He did it, and he is now serving the time. Well... Uh, trials, juries, courtrooms, uh, all of this, you know, intense testimony, lawyers, people advocating for one side or the other. Uh, It's been asked before, and I think it's a very wise question to ask. Uh, If it was illegal in our country to be a Christian, and you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you. Uh, That's been asked before. I think it's a great question. If you were guilty as charged of the crime of being a Christian, would a jury, after looking at your life, say, yes, she is guilty, she is a Christian? Uh, What would you point to in the evidence if you were trying to prove that you were a Christian? Would you point to your Bible reading? I mean, many great scholars and theologians know the Bible backwards and forwards, but they're not Christians. Would you point to your prayer? Would you say, this is how often I pray every day? Well, you know, almost all religions have some form of prayer. Would you point to your evangelism and say, this is how many people I've led to Christ, or this is how many people I've witnessed to? Well, think about Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. They sometimes outdo us in their evangelical efforts. So regarding us, how long would it take a jury to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were, in fact, Christians? Could they, would they convict us of that crime? 
Now, you might ask at this point, well, is there really any genuine evidence uh, that we're in Christ? Is there any way to really know that I belong to Jesus, or do I have to wait and see whether I'm truly saved or not? Well, the passage that we're going to look at tonight really answers that question for us. We're going to look at Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Uh, that's the pericope is what it's called. When you open up your Bibles and you see those uh, section chunks with titles that the editors have put in, those are called pericopes. Uh, that's the pericope that contains the fruit of the spirit text that we're going to be studying for the next three years, right? So we're going to start... <laughs> by looking at this text and really setting the stage for diving down into this. So let's read it together. All the verses, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So again, we're really going to focus uh, for our weekend on part of verses 22 and 23. And we're doing this because there's so much to say about each one of these fruits of the Spirit. We could literally write a book on each one and still not be done. So we're going to go slowly and take three years to get these down. And again, this year we're going to work on love, joy, and peace. 2024, patience, kindness, goodness, 2025, faithfulness, gentleness, and then we'll do self-control. Okay, but to really understand what's going on here, we have to go back a little bit and look at the letter. If we don't get the letter, we're not going to get the pericope. And if we don't get the pericope, we're not going to get the actual fruit of the Spirit text. So we need to go back and think, what is going on in this letter? So I need a few minutes of background with you. Uh, this letter to the Galatians was written to the churches of Galatia by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Galatia today is found in modern Turkey. And Paul spent time there. 
He spent time there on his missionary journeys, teaching people about Jesus. People believed uh, the gospel. They believed the words that he taught from God, and churches were established. So there were churches in the Galatian regions. And if you look at Galatians 1, 3, and 4, uh, the, the third and the fourth verses that open the book, he talks about the gospel that he preached to them. He says, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then reminding them of what he taught Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. So reminding them, he had taught them that Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil age. Uh, Jesus was the promised and crucified Messiah who saved them from their sins and the penalty of their sins. And so Paul taught them, established the churches, and then moved on from Galatia. Now, after he moved on, there were false teachers that came into the church. False teachers came in and they started to put some tweaks on Paul's gospel. They said that his gospel was wrong. His gospel was deficient. And so Paul wrote this letter to them in response. And he was very adamant about how important it was that no one tweak the biblical gospel. If you look at Galatians 1, 6 through 9, we see where Paul is very, again, adamant up front. He says in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, I am astonished, he's shocked, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he says, not that there is another one, but there are some, those false teachers, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Then he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's let him be eternally condemned. And then he says, as we have said before, so now I say it again. This is what I've been teaching you again and again and again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Let him be eternally condemned. Paul clearly saying getting the gospel right is crucial. Uh, this is something that we cannot afford to get wrong. Well, the false teachers came in, and what they did was they appealed to the Galatians' desire to make sure that they were right with God. They wanted evidence of salvation in their lives. They were thinking, hey, if I was on trial, would I be convicted? What evidence do I have? And they told, the false teachers told the Galatians, you know what you need for evidence? You need to be circumcised. The men here need to be circumcised. Uh, they said that's the way that it worked in the Old Testament. That's what God told Abraham to do and the people of God to do. Uh, if you jot down Genesis 17.10, Genesis 17.10 in the Abrahamic covenant says, this is my covenant, this is God, Yahweh, speaking to his people, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So they pointed them to that, and they thought, that's what we need. We need to start circumcising our men. Uh, Verse 14 of Genesis 17, it says, And any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So these false teachers said, you know that gospel that you heard from Paul? He left out one very important part. And that is that you need to add circumcision to this and other uh, things that they needed to keep according to the Old Testament ceremonial law. They said, you want evidence that the sin's out of your life? Get a knife and cut off the foreskin. And that'll prove that sin is out of your life. It's a symbolic act of cutting away sin. That way you'll know that you've cut away the sin in your life. And God said, Paul said, no, that is not the gospel and that is not what Christ is calling you to do. If you look at Galatians 3, 2 and 3, Galatians 3, 2 and 3, Paul says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law, by getting circumcised or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh, by taking a knife and cutting off flesh? No, the Galatians were saved by the gospel, and so are we. And the Galatians, like us, received the Holy Spirit upon conversion. They received the Holy Spirit, and we received the Holy Spirit as well. We see that in Romans 8, 9. And Romans 8, 9 is an important verse to mark down, especially if someone comes to you later and says, you might be a Christian, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, you are, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Uh, Saying everyone who's in Christ, everyone who's responded rightly to the gospel has God's Holy Spirit. These Galatians wanted to see spiritual progress in their life, and that was great. But the false teachers were giving them the wrong means to go about it, going back to the Old Testament law. And again, Paul saying, God saying, no, that is not what you do. And then we'll pick it up at our text, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. You want to be uh, free from sin. You want to be living uprightly before God. You don't circumcise yourself. You don't go back to Old Testament ceremonial law. But the text says in Galatians 5, 16, but I say, this is what I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit there. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That you will not is literally in the Greek. The construction is, and you will never gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, The Lexham English Bible, which is the Logos Bible software translation, and it's a great translation, says, but I say live by the Spirit and you will never Carry out the desire of the flesh. 
So Paul's saying to them, you want a successful Christian life? You want a victorious Christian life? Great, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't go back to Old Testament law. Don't start circumcising yourself. Don't add the ceremonial law to your life, but instead continually yield to the Spirit. And that's the first point for us. Continually yield to the Spirit. That's what they're to do if they are to have a victorious and a successful Christian life. That walk by the Spirit there in Galatians 5.16, it's a present imperative verb. It means you will continually walk by the Spirit, continually walk with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Theologians have pointed out this is a promise from God. If you walk by the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It has nothing to do with circumcision or with the keeping of the Old Testament law. We see that in Galatians 5.2. Look I say, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So the question was then, will the Galatians trust Jesus? Will they trust in what Jesus has done? Will they trust in the sufficiency of his spirit to help them live the life that God wants them to live? Or are they going to spurn all of that and go back to the ceremonial law, adding something that they feel they can do in the flesh to accomplish their salvation? We know, we know that keeping the law will never ever make anybody right with Christ. Keeping these Old Testament rituals and ceremonies will never make anybody right with Christ. We know that because Romans 3.23 clearly teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That any sin in our life causes us to fall short of God's glory. We're separated from God because of our sin. And if we think, you know what? When I stand before God, I don't know what the jury would say about my life, but I feel like I'm a good person. I hope that God would say you're a good person. He's not going to say that. Romans 3.10 says, no, there is not any righteous. No, not one. Not one person has perfectly kept God's law. So we won't be right with God by the keeping of the law. And then Romans 6.23 adds to that, the wages of sin, the wages being the paycheck, what you've earned, what you've earned for your sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So we all have this problem. We're all sinners. We've all violated God's, uh, God's holy character. We've all choose, chosen to rebel against him and do things our way instead of his way. That separation that has led to that separation between us and God, none of us are going to be good enough for God. What we've earned, our paycheck, is death. But the great news that Paul preached to these Galatian people was that God loved them and God provided a way out for them. 
He provided that in Christ. That Romans 3.23, the one that says uh, the wages of sin is death, the whole verse says the wages of sin is, is death, but but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So even though I have earned death, you have earned death, every single one of us has earned death because of our sin, the free gift that's offered to us is eternal life in Jesus. Jesus, uh, the second person of the triune God, took on human flesh. As Philippians 2 says, he was found in appearance as a man. He was fully God and fully man, and he lived the perfect life to take care of my sin problem and to take care of your sin problem, to take care of what I earned, what I deserve, what I stored up for myself, which is death in this life and spiritual death. On that cross, Jesus paid for my debt. He paid for our debt on the cross. He was punished for us. And he offers to take our punishment and to give us the righteousness that he earned, that we did not earn. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This amazing, most loving transaction, this most loving offer ever known to humanity, that God himself would take the penalty for our sin and grace us with his righteousness, all because of Jesus. So there's evidence one of our Christianity. Do we have, do we have what the Galatians needed? Do we have right doctrine? Do you have right doctrine? Because of all those other religions that are praying to gods or God or whoever they say they're praying to, their doctrine isn't right. They don't have right doctrine. Uh, even the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons, they don't have right doctrine. These people don't see themselves the way the Bible declares us to be. Broken people, broken humans, that when we stand before God apart from Christ, have absolutely no hope before the throne. There is no way we are getting in on our own goodness. No one is good enough for God. Our only hope our only hope is in what Jesus has done. And that's the right doctrine there. So is there evidence of that in your life? If someone were to open up someone's cell phone and hear your conversations and hear your prayers, read your letters, read your journals, would it evidence someone who realizes that she's a sinner before God? that she has no hope in and of herself, but who has uh, seen the fact that God provided Christ as the solution and the only solution of her sin, for her sin problem. Now, again, other religions, they have Bible reading, they have prayer, they even have evangelism, but they don't have right doctrine. And you know, it's not only right doctrine that we need. It's not only right doctrine that the Galatians needed. We also need the right response. 
Have we had, do we have the right response to that right doctrine? Uh, Jesus in Mark 1.15, this was the words of Jesus himself. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The right response is to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. That's the right response. Have we responded rightly to the good news? Have we repented and have we believed? I mean, many scholars, again, theologians who are brilliant minds might study the text of scripture and say they conclude the same doctrinal things that we do, but they don't respond rightly to that. So it's not just agreeing to the same things that we agree to, but it's the right response that's necessary, that repentance and that faith. When you place your trust in Christ and not yourself, and you choose to turn from your sin, you turn from living for yourself, and you turn and you instead follow after him. And if, if you have right doctrine, and if you have a right response, then you have the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit, it's God's Holy Spirit alone that can help you to see clearly, to see that you are a sinner with no hope apart from Christ. He, only the Holy Spirit can give you the ability to truly place your trust in what Christ did instead of yourself and turn. And turn from living your life for yourself, but say, I am going to turn and live my life for Jesus. So that's our second evidence of our Christianity. Do we have uh, right behavior, the right response? Have we truly trusted in Christ and turned from our sins? Now remember, the the promise to us in Galatians 5.16 was walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, walk by, the Greek verb there, peripateo. It means uh, to go here and there walking, to go about, to walk around, to follow after somebody. It's when you're moving around in this life, you're following the Spirit, you're yielding, like our point says, to the Spirit. He's leading, you're yielding, you're following, you're going wherever he wants you to go. It says, if you walk by the Spirit, if you yield to the Spirit, if you continually yield to the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I know what you're thinking right now, but I still sin. I'm a Christian, I know I'm a Christian. I have right doctrine and I have the right response, but I still sin. Well, let's look back at the passage. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 there. Look at verse 17. But I say, start in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, what that text says is that all believers will experience a war, a battle between their old sinful nature that they're still toting around and the Holy Spirit of God who is now with them and in them. 
Why? Why does that opposition exist? Well, because this old sinful nature wants to do one thing and the Holy Spirit, he wants us to do another thing. And these two are, as the text says, in opposition to each other. And if you've experienced that, that tension, that opposition, that is normal Christianity. It's normal Christianity to experience that, to know when the spirit wants you to do one thing and yet that old sinful nature is battling or tugging in the other direction. And that's why we sin. We're Christians and we still sin. James 3, 2. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, for we all, we all stumble in many ways. That's saying we all, we all sin. And yet, and yet this text encourages us that even though we sin, we don't give up the battle and stop fighting. We don't surrender to sin because God's spirit, that spirit that is within us, has rewired us for something different. We're not content to be down and crushed by sin. God's spirit within us has rewired us and has made us desire to be victorious in the spirit. We see that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is a classic passage that really outlines this whole principle. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it says you've been saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of work, so that no one should boast. You're saved by Christ. It's Christ's work alone. And then verse 10 says, we're his workmanship. He's reworked us. He's rewired us. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The text says God has rewired us. The Holy Spirit has rewired us. That even though our old nature causes us to lose our victory, our constant victory, we're still rewired with a bend to keep on fighting, to keep moving forward, and to keep being victorious. When we sin as Christians, we feel convicted and we repent. And then we get back up again and keep on yielding to the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 24, 16, that's cited often, says, The righteous falls seven times and rises again. And in Hebraic poetry, the idea of seven times meant like completeness. Uh, The righteous falls completely seven times, but gets up again. Uh, The old commentator, Matthew Henry, says the just man, the righteous man, the Christian, falls, sometimes falls seven times perhaps, into sin, sin of infirmity, through the surprise of temptation, but he rises again by repentance, finds mercy with God, and regains his peace. 
So the Galatians, Paul was teaching them and instructing them that they needed to trust Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life to save them and to sanctify them and not the ceremonial law, not the works of the law, freed from the works of the law. That's called legalism. When you're trying to be saved by the keeping of the law, circumcision and Old Testament law. And this was hard for these people because remember, they were just coming into this new age of Christ. They were just coming into this. We hear this and we think, well, of course you're not saved by circumcision. But that was a difficult concept for them. They had to let go of all of those things and put their trust in the gospel of a crucified Messiah who had done everything for them and on their behalf. They had to believe in that. Uh, Circumcision, it was given in the Old Testament to point people to this truth. Uh, The Old Testament law, the Old Testament ceremonial law was to keep a remnant of people away from the rest of the sinful population until this Messiah would come and do the final work here. Well, also, they needed to not only trust Christ for this freedom from the law, but they needed to trust Christ for victory over the flesh because that is provided for the spirit of by the Spirit as well. So it's not only uh, being delivered from the works of the law, but it's being delivered from the works of the flesh too. No longer in bondage to the law, but also not in bondage to what they call license, being able to do whatever you want to do. That's not the answer either. We're not right by the keeping of the law. We're not legalistic, but we're not licentious. We don't believe that because we're in Christ, we can do whatever we want. Both are true and both need to be embraced by faith. They both need to be embraced by faith. So how do I know then if I'm trusting in the Spirit? How do I know if that jury would convict me and say she's trusting in the Spirit? We see evidence of her trusting in the Spirit. Well, the text goes on to show us that and show us clearly. Uh, Look at uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It says the works of the flesh, what we've been delivered from, what we've died to, they're evident Again, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Then he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, I've taught you guys this, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul saying here with this word where it says in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. That word there, phaneros, it means they're clearly known. They're easily known. They're plain to see. He's saying this is not as complicated as you're making it. He's saying this is very clear and evident and easy to see. And he gives us this list of 15 things that are works of the flesh. And he says, this is not hard. These are things that if you're doing these things, if you're participating in these things, you are not yielded to God's Holy Spirit. So these are things that we're to get out of our life. We're to get rid of these things if they're in our life. And that's our second point. Cut out sinful attitudes and actions. 
Uh, That's what Paul's teaching here. If you have any of these 15 or anything like it, as he says, and there are more, you got to cut them out of your life because these are not uh, the fruits of the spirit, but the works of the flesh. 15 on the list. That's a lot. The first one there, sexual immorality, uh, immoral sexual relationships, adultery, uh, any sexual relationship with someone who's married or not biblically divorced, uh, fornication, that's any sexual activity that's outside of the marriage covenant. Those are works of the flesh, and God's people should not be participating in those. Impurity. Uh, a lack of pureness, a looseness, uh, might not just be in the way that we act, but in what we think or what we say, the jokes that we tell or the jokes that we laugh at. Uh, Sensuality, it's when you want to do what you want to do. When you say, I see what God says, I know what God says, but I want to do what I want to do here. I am going to do things my way because it makes me feel good. And this feels right to me. That's sensuality. Idolatry, putting anything else in the place of God other than God, anything else. When we want something more than we want God. And in our culture, even in our Christian culture, that centers a lot around things like family and love and kids and dating, and things like that, we feel like we're not going to submit or yield those things to what God's design is, what God says in scripture, because we will not withhold those things from ourselves. And how could God withhold any of that from us? Uh, Sorcery. Sorcery is witchcraft or spells. It's the Greek word pharmakia, from which we get pharmacy. It had to do with using medicine to get people in a different state. Uh, If you're addicted to prescription drugs, that's pharmakia, that's sorcery. Enmity. Enmity here, hostility, hatred, when you're at enemy with someone. Strife, discord, and quarreling, the fighting, when you're not getting along with people. Jealousy, this is sinful jealousy, uh, an unreasonable emotion associated with devotion to another person or another thing. You just become uh, completely jealous when you feel that that's threatened. Fits of anger, outbursts of anger or rage without the excuse, right? Well, I'm Irish. (laughs) Or I'm Italian, right? No. That is a work of the flesh, the fit of anger, rivalries, uh, trying to gain a following after yourself, selfish ambition or politicking is what that is, dissensions, that's when you have divisive teaching or teaching that would lead people to divide up into pockets, Uh, envy, wanting what someone else has, wanting that so badly. Drunkenness, we know that, the excessive use of alcohol, or orgies, sex parties, all of these things. And he says, and things like this, this is not exhaustive, there are more, but these are evident. He's saying these are obvious, this is not confusing. If you are doing those things, then you are not yielding to the Spirit. But instead, these are works of the flesh. You need to cut them out and you need to get them out of your life. 
You gotta cut them out, no matter how hard it is. We have a fairly small house, two bathrooms. One bathroom is right on top of the other. And uh, a few years ago, we were in the downstairs bathroom and the ceiling was starting to balloon down. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, there's a leak upstairs. So my husband popped it and a bunch of water came out. So water came out in the downstairs bathroom and our upstairs bathroom, it's like, we don't want to deal with this. Uh, so he put down some kind of protective covering against water or whatever, and he tiled on top of the tile. Okay, you don't do that. That's something that you don't do. But it was a, it was a quick fix. Well, a quick fix has drug out for months and years. And every now and then, underneath that tile that he put on top of the old tile, there's like black patches that start to come up. Yeah, so I'll get the um, bleach and start spraying the black patches and, you know, fighting them off as best as I can, but they're coming up more and more and more frequently. Uh, my husband has said, you know what, we got to rip this out. We got to rip it out and I got to redo it. Rip it out? I don't want to rip it out. I, I mean, that's so much time and it's so much money. It's really expensive to rip those things out. The whole bathroom's thrashed. So time and money and inconvenience, I don't want to have to deal with this black mold. But I need to, right? I need to cut it out. Jesus said that. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. I mean, if my husband were to say, guess what? I found out it's not just mold. This is toxic mold. We're all going to get really sick. It's like, okay, let's cut it out. And that's what these works of the flesh are. They're like toxic mold. We've got to cut them out. No matter how much work it takes or how inconvenient it is or how much we feel like we've gotten comfortable with these things, we've got to do what it takes to get rid of them. As Paul says there in verse 21, in verse 21, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, I warned you about this. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. When he said you do these things, he meant you regularly practice these things. When you're characterized by these things, when this is really who you are, is someone who does these works of the flesh, then those are not characteristic of people who have responded rightly to the gospel and have a right gospel. You don't have the right behavior. I mean, if you're dealing with drunkenness, if you got to have your wine every night, I'd say ditch the wine. If you brought wine to retreat, ditch it for the weekend. It's not funny. People do. You'd be surprised what they bring. Hold bars. Fits of anger. Fits of anger. We've got to see it as sin and we've got to stop. We've got to stop. We have to stop making excuses for ourselves. You know, that's just me. I'm just like that. I'm passionate. Great. 
but don't throw a fit of rage. Don't explode. Sexual immorality, if you're watching pornography online, watching it on your phone, if you're reading romance novels that cause you to go off into places you shouldn't go, cut those things out. Anything that's on that list. Because there's a difference between struggling with sin and surrendering to sin. And we don't want to surrender to any of these things. Remember, the battle is there. We will struggle with these things, but we are not to surrender to these things. There's no way that that should be characteristic of us. And we all know the struggle. I struggled this morning. I don't know if you remember from back in January when I talked about my daughter's stolen iPhone. <sighs> okay, well... That was in the first of the year, and the teaching was about, you know, basically do what you know you should do because the time is going to come when one day you'll say, I should have done that. And one thing that we didn't do was back up my daughter's phone, or she didn't do it, and her phone got stolen. Well, this morning, I'm getting these frantic calls from that daughter and from my son-in-law, her husband. They're calling and calling, and I'm thinking, why are you guys calling me? I'm getting ready for the retreat. I'm going to retreat, love, joy, peace, right? <laughs> well, to make a long story short, this morning, her phone finally appeared in China. I'm not kidding. In China, she was panicking. Her husband was panicking because whoever had it changed her Apple ID password. And guess what Apple said? They can't help you. They can't help you if someone changes the password. Well, they have police reports. They have everything that we did. They talked to Apple and Apple said, we will get you a new password in 24 hours. So they're panicking, thinking all those photos and videos, her dances with their daughter, the nursing moments, whatever it was, that someone over there is in China watching them and laughing, right? Maybe even posting them on the internet. They're upset. And then my other daughter starts calling. My other daughter calls because she works for a company that uh, provides cell service. So the, uh, the daughter with the stolen phone, her phone's on the cell provider of the other daughter. So the other daughter's in meetings. She's got these big meetings, and she's got her sister and her brother-in-law calling and calling and calling. And she's trying to call people in the company. And they're, you know, trying to get this fixed. And she's telling me, I'm in meetings right now, online meetings. I can't get out of these. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Tell her to stop calling me. I'm thinking, stop calling me. <laughs> this is insane. So they're all calling me, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And, you know, one of them's pregnant, the other's trying to get pregnant. And then my husband walks up and says, oh, by the way, can you get all your stuff out of the bathroom? Because I'm going to work on that mold project while you're gone. Okay, I'm sitting there, my heart slamming, I'm feeling the feelings, I'm looking at the list. Deep breath, deep breath. Okay, strife, fits of anger, envy. Why can't I just have Carlin's life? <laughs> Her normal, beautiful family. <laughs> I've got like the traveling drama show. <laughs> it's always, 
it's always something. You know, the perfect storm was building. And I'm not Italian. <laughs> but my maiden name is Irish. My name was literally Stephanie Irish before I got married. And you know, I can testify from experience that God's Spirit truly can, truly can help someone to overcome a hot-tempered personality. Because I could have said to my daughters, why are you calling me right now? And to my husband, what? Take the stuff out of the bathroom? This is all your fault. <laughs> Even though it's not. That's where I was going. Just looking at him. This is you. <laughs> but instead, no, this is not the fruit of the Spirit, right? <laughs> Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? Deep breath. Think. Think about the verses. Pray. Said to my daughters, you know what? Let me pray for you guys over the phone. And my husband, thank you. <laughs> thank you for working so hard this weekend. That is a great idea. <laughs> and everything went well. Well, you know, thank you, Jesus, right? Because we all have that opportunity to make those choices. We're not stuck. We're not trapped. We don't have to respond in the flesh. We can instead do the right thing. And when we fall down, when we lose it and we don't respond right, we don't have to stay down. The works of the flesh are obvious. But you know what the text says? The text says that the fruit of the Spirit is also obvious. Look at verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is what God is calling us to do. This is evidence of our Christian, Christian testimony. This is evidence that would convict us in court of being a Christian if we regularly manifest these things, the fruit of the Spirit. And they're not called the gifts of the Spirit. Because the gifts of the Spirit, uh, some are given to one and some are given to another. Well, we don't have that luxury here. <laughs> we got all nine, right? We all have all nine. It's the fruit of the Spirit. All nine of these should be evidenced in all of our lives at all times. Because this is a result of God's Spirit living within us. And if we really do truly focus on these, we won't even have time for the works of the flesh. Uh, like Romans 13, 14 says, Romans 13, 14, I love this passage. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If we make no provision for the flesh, we will be putting on Jesus because the Spirit opposes and replaces the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh have been dethroned in our life, not by keeping Old Testament ceremonial law, not by circumcision, clearly, but by the cross of Christ. And that's why Paul wraps up here with verses 24 through 26 in Galatians 5. 24 through 26, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. We are to third and final point here, choose to follow Jesus. That's what the text is saying. Choose to follow Jesus, this new life that we have in the Spirit. It's not some pathway between the two. It's not a pathway between being legalistic and licentious. But instead, it's a highway above them both. It's a new way. It's a highway. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of following Jesus. And when we hear about the fruit of the Spirit too, something that we often do is we mistake it for something magical or mystical or even passive, but that's not what it is. The fruit simply evidences what's in our heart. It reveals what's in our heart. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, 15 and 16. Matthew 7, 15 and 16, Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Fruit, all it is, is the evidence of what's in your heart. It's the behavior that manifests what's in your heart. So there's good fruit and there's bad fruit too. Now, earlier in Galatians, Paul had made an interesting statement. In Galatians 2.20, we didn't look at that one, but this is one that's quoted often. Galatians 2.19 and 20, actually. It says, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we see the same parallel thought in verse 24 that we just read in Galatians 5. Galatians 5.24, let's look at it again. It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We saw that in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified. I died to the law in 2.19. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's interesting because in Galatians 2.20, when it says, I died to the law, I'm separated from the law, I'm no longer obligated to keep Old Testament ceremonial law, the crucified there is passive. I have been crucified with Christ. But here in 524, where it says that we are now dead to the flesh with its passions and desires, we're separated from, we're no longer in relationship with the flesh, its passions and desires, the crucified is active. It's not something that just happens to us, but something that we're responsible to do. And it's neat because we see what scholars would say, the indicative and the imperative. 2.20 is the indicative. You have been crucified with Christ. This is a true statement. And 5.24, because that's true, because you're in Christ, now you're responsible to crucify your desires, your fleshly desires. A truth, a positional truth, and a way to respond to that truth. Again, the indicative and the imperative. What has been accomplished or effected in the cross can now be lived out in 
the Christian. And that's because we have died together with Christ. Some great verses to jot down from Romans 6, Romans 6, 3, Romans 6, 6, and 7, Romans 6, 11, great truths, great indicatives to remind ourselves of. It says Romans 6, 3, 4, Romans 6, 3, and 4. It says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? If you've been immersed in Christ, you've been immersed into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Such a beautiful truth there. If you have the right doctrine and you respond rightly, you died with Christ and you've been raised back up with Jesus too. Romans 6, 6, and 7, it says, we know we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We died together with Christ. Therefore, we are set free from sin. And then uh, the imperative, what we do in Romans 6.11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So when we got to that point, when we heard the right gospel and we put our trust in Christ and we turned from our sins, at that moment, we were crucified together with Christ. We chose to follow Jesus and we, like the Galatians, crucified the flesh. And that's what Jesus meant when he said in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It actually says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Crucify the flesh daily. We are called to do this daily. This is a lifetime process. I love what Martin Luther wrote. You've heard of the 95 Thesis that he nailed to the door like a declaration against the Catholic Church. The very first one, the very first one says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is what we do daily we are crucified with Christ when we place our trust in Christ and turn from our sins. And because we're crucified with Christ, we crucify ourselves daily. We pick up our cross and we follow after him. In verses 25 and 26 of our text, Galatians 5, 25 and 26, if we live by the Spirit or because we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We are called to keep in step with the Spirit. That keep in step, it means to really be drawn in line with. It's a military word. It means to stand in a row with. We are to stand in a row and follow the Holy Spirit. We are to march in line with him. We go where he goes. 
That's what the scripture teaches. So we see in verse 16, we've got walking by the spirit, Galatians 5, 16. Verse 18, we've got being led by the spirit, Galatians 5, 18. Galatians 5, 25 that we just read, living by the spirit. Galatians 5, 25, again, keeping in step with the spirit. All of this is a life that's in sync with the spirit. So if someone were to ask you, what does it mean to walk with the Spirit or follow the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit or live by the Spirit, we've seen what it means. It means you continually yield to His will. It means you repent of sinful actions and attitudes. And it means that you relentlessly follow after Jesus. That's what it means to be in sync or in step or follow after the Spirit. Well, this morning, Alex Murdaugh was sentenced for life for the murder of his 22-year-old son and his wife. And you know, if we're Christians and being a Christian was a crime, then may we be sentenced to, right? Not only for life, but for all of eternity. May we be able to say, yes, we have right doctrine. We believe the right truths about the gospel. Yes, we have responded rightly. We are guilty. We've placed our trust in Christ and we've turned from our sins. And you know what? To top that off, we have the right fruit, the right evidence that shows that we are walking in sync consistently with the Holy Spirit. And after this weekend, may we be able to say that truly about love, joy, and peace. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the women of Compass Bible Church who graciously gather here with us yearly to enjoy a weekend of retreat. I know it's hard. I know that it's a lot to um, really do violence to your schedule and get out here and spend the night over here and eat meals over here and you know, do all the things that we need to do. But God, I pray that this would be a good, good, spiritually productive weekend for us, Lord. I pray that we would truly learn to yield to your spirit, that where your spirit leads, we would go. We see where you want us to go in your word, in the scripture. We learn through the community of Christian sisters here what the life of an obedient Christian looks like. And I pray, God, that we would truly yield to you. I pray that you would help us to do radical amputation this weekend, that we would cut out the works of the flesh, that we would see them as worse than toxic mold, like eternal mold, that we would do violence to them and get them out of our life, and that we would purpose to relentlessly follow after your son because we've been crucified with him, that we would take up our cross and Allow ourselves to be crucified daily because we are followers of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus. We thank you so much for Jesus as we began with. If it weren't for him, we would have absolutely no hope. We would be eternally separated from you. We would be uh, estranged from you based on what we've earned 
we've earned death, but you've given us eternal life, the free gift of eternal life, and we thank you. We thank you, God, not only for saving us, but for gracing us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you that every single one of us has the third person of the triune God indwelling us, empowering us, enabling us to live the life that you've called us to live. God, help us to believe that and to respond rightly to that truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.